Today on Government Matters, improving grades on the federal government's cybersecurity scorecard. U.S. Chief Information Officer Suzette Kent and Chief Information Security Officer Grant Schneider detail the improvement. Opening the acquisition pipeline for the COVID-19 fight and beyond. The Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service, Julie Dunn, on how to keep that pipeline flowing. And bridging the digital divide to fight the coronavirus and build American trade. The Deputy Administrator of USAID, Bonnie Glick, on her agency's worldwide digital strategy. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Cyber incidents are down by 8% and 72 agencies now have the highest risk management rating according to the latest data from the Office of Management and Budget. The newest Federal Information Security Management Act report shows improvements in managing risk and securing government mobile devices. Suzette Kentz, the Chief Information Officer of the United States. Grant Schneider is the Chief Information Security Officer of the United States. Folks, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program. Suzette, I want to start with you. In the press release when uh, this news came out this week, you talked about tying this FISMA report to the president's management agenda. What's the connection between the two? What's the intersection, Suzette? Yeah, thanks, Francis, and thank you for having us. The, the intersection reflects the areas that we focused on as part of IT modernization in the president's management agenda. So the point around securing mobile devices, um, expanded information sharing, use of tools. And we believe the fact that, you know, the number of incident, uh, the number of attempts is not going down, um, but the number of incidents did. And we think that's reflective of the areas that we focused on. Um, those things were reported quarter over quarter in the president's management agenda. And the FISMA report, you know, although we prepared, it reflects the great work that is done by agencies um, over the course of the year and shows that we are delivering year-over-year -year improvement. Grant, Grant, this report says 72%, uh, 72 agencies received an overall rating of managing risk. That's up from 62 last year. What's that mean? What does an agency managing risk mean? What are they doing to achieve that? So really it means kind of exactly what it says is that they are man that they are taking and appropriately applying the variety of cybersecurity policies, whether they're ones from us or binding operational directives from the Department of Homeland Security, um, special guidance and publications from the National Institute of Standards and Technology, that they're applying those to um, take a risk management approach to their environment. So they're assessing what are their most critical uh, assets through the our high value asset program, um, and then taking appropriate steps to protect those. Your number was 33 agencies managing risk in 2017. What do you attribute that, I mean, basically doubling of agencies managing risk to? Is it policies that they've put in place? Is it tools that they have available to them that they didn't have available to them before? Some combination of both or something else, Grant? 
Yeah, I would say it's a combination of three things. So when you look at our responsibilities in FISMA, um, the, the main one is to develop and oversee the adoption of government-wide policies. And so the, there's two really important parts there. One is making sure that we have the right policies in place, and we've done a lot to update um, all of our cybersecurity policies, or the majority of them, over the last couple of years. Um, but, but the second part is really important, which is overseeing the adoption and implementation of those policies. Uh, so I think the attention to detail uh, has also been really important. And an example of that, I mentioned the high value asset um, program created under a, a, an HVA policy that we put out. But we've always had agencies that did assessments of their most critical um, uh, tools and, and systems. However, what we're doing now is working with the Department of Homeland Security's um, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency to follow up and track the, the implementation of the mitigations. Um, I would say those combined with tools uh, government-wide, such as uh, the Continuous Diagnostics um, and Mitigation Program, are, are giving agencies more insight um, and more situational awareness to what there is in their environment, and then we're tracking their ability to actually um, patch systems and, and uh, implement mitigations. Suzette, last time you were on the program, we talked about the success that you saw with agencies using mobile devices in the telework environment that the coronavirus pandemic has created. What's your sense of what you, we should take away from this FISMA report to apply to potentially what maybe the next year's FISMA report looks like vis-a-vis -vis this huge fleet of mobile devices that's out there now working every single day that wasn't during the period that this report looks at? Francis, what we should take away is that we need to continue on the path and not just continue, but accelerate. You know, Grant talked about the tactics that boil down to kind of two things, priority and focus. And that's what we will continue. And as we have seen more use of mobile devices, um, I think you've seen both through the CIOs and through uh, the partnership with uh, CISA, rapid response to changes in the environment, but the, the actions that were taken put us in a position to operate uh, safely and securely with the challenges that were brought about by this virus. And we will continue to um, expand and augment that as you know, we see adversaries or different types of challenges you know, continue to emerge. So continuing down the path with the same level of focus and laser priority. Grant, we have less than a minute left. What do you want to see agencies do to accelerate the, according to what Suzette just laid out, the vision she just articulated there? So certainly, as she mentioned, the continued attention to detail is going to be really important for agencies going forward. And, and I think the one of the big focus areas that we're going to have going forward that's going to be somewhat uh, new or newer is going to be supply chain risk management, um, which is is going to be something that is going to be a changing environment, an evolving environment, um, but something that we will probably be spending a lot of time focusing on come next year. Grant Schneider, Suzette Kent, thanks both very much for coming on. It's great to have you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Francis. Up next, reopening the doors to government buildings and making sure employees have the tools they need. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service has a status report. You're watching ABC7.
The Department of Energy, the Department of the Interior, and the Environmental Protection Agency all have reopening strategies ready. Agencies across government are working to reopen safely and keep missions on track. Julie Dunn is Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. Julie, welcome. Thanks for coming on. What is FASA's role in helping agencies get ready to reopen and to kind of get missions back on track or to keep them on track as they transition from pretty much 100% telework back to reopening offices? Uh, thanks for having me, Francis. I appreciate it. Uh, the Federal Acquisition Service obviously has a key role in that, and we're supporting all our customer agencies. Uh, we have been for the last three months in terms of getting them uh, high demand items like cleaning, cleaning supplies, um, sanitizer, uh, cloth face coverings and the like. Um, there, there's been a, a, a number of things that we've been really instrumental in terms of making sure our customer agencies can get back to their facilities. Um, and, you know, we're also supporting our military as well. Um, I know we've, we've done a lot of support for, for example, Navy. Um, I, I got a great note the other day from uh, a Navy supply officer that said thank you to our team for what he termed the Herculean efforts to try to get over 400 cases of hand sanitizer to his ship. So it's really gratifying to hear about the good work that our organization is doing. And throughout all of this, um, when Emily Murphy was on a couple of weeks ago, she talked about how uh, telework has transitioned pretty uh, pretty effectively at the General Services Administration broadly. Within the Federal Acquisition Service, you've been kind of keeping the wheels turning with the Federal Marketplace Strategy, with activity on a number of other fronts that we'll talk about in a moment. But the Marketplace Strategy, what's the essence of that, Julie? What is that doing to help you advance the mission of FAST and help support your customer agencies? So the Federal Marketplace Strategy is something that's been in place for the last two years or so. Um, and I've charged my team to continue the momentum on that effort. And I see that as a framework for continuous improvement in terms of making it easier to do business with the federal government for our customers, agencies, for the vendors, um, as well as all the other stakeholders. Um, and we're continuing, uh, I think FAS is really multitasking, frankly. We're, we're continuing to support COVID-19 response, but we're also continuing along in some of the key priorities that have been outlined in the federal marketplace strategy. Uh, for example, the mass consolidation effort is, is going full force. Um, I think we've the latest thing I heard is something in the range of 85% of uh, vendors, existing vendors, have accepted the mass mod, and that's great news. Um, we're already seeing kind of a return on that reform effort. Uh, we've seen how it ma has made it easier for vendors to add new products um, that are in direct support for COVID-19. Um, so it's been a really good news story and we're continuing to push forward on that. The schedules consolidation, I think, is particularly a, a, a noteworthy success story because for years, a lot of people thought that it wasn't even possible to do it, let alone was something that should that somebody should try to take on. What do you think has been the success story behind that, Julie? What's made that possible for that consolidation to work the way that you all envisioned it? Well, look, as you said, it's one of the key reform efforts, um, and it's something that's been a long time coming. I think it's been close to 20 years since we've really taken on this level of reform in the schedules area. Um, and I think the success is due to the key leadership in place 
Um, Stephanie Shutt has been just an, a tremendous leader. Um, and also part of it is reaching out across the country with all the federal acquisition service centers um, and making sure we get the workforce buy-in. And um, I think vendors are really gonna see the return um, with this effort, because like I said, we're able to add on new products more quickly and it streamlined the, the terms and conditions of these contracts. So I'm looking forward to continuing that effort. And, you know, as I said, I, I've been on this job since last fall. Um, and, you know, I looked at the FAS priorities and I thought we got a good set of priorities here. Um, what we need to do is maintain the momentum. So we've got leadership support and I think we've got the workforce buy-in and we're going to keep moving forward on that. We have uh, just a couple of minutes left. Two areas where you have not had as much success, uh, the transition to, uh, to beta.sam.gov and the EIS transition. What do you see moving forward to move both of those programs in the direction that you want them to go, Julie? Well, you know, both of those programs, I actually, when in my previous life, when I was on the Hill, I had some exposure to both those programs. So those are really important um, I think they're both part of a, a key priority, which is IT modernization. Um, in beta.sam.gov, um, we have had some successes in terms of integrating a couple of the 10 legacy systems that are meant to be put all kind of in one place. Uh, last fall, uh, we were able to transition the, Fed, the FedBiz Ops um, legacy system into the new system. Um, we did a lot of user outreach and trying to change management. It's always hard. So it's it's our charge to make sure we keep talking to the users. Um, and then more recently, uh, the FPDS report function was transitioned. Um, we've put that in a beta type environment because we want to make sure the stakeholders have enough time uh, to get used to the new way of doing things. On EIS, that is a key mechanism for IT modernization. And frankly, I think the COVID-19 situation has highlighted the need for further um, IT modernization. And I think it's really highlighted for agencies, you know, how important it is to have a modernized network infrastructure in place to support things like telework. Um, so we're gonna continue to um, press forward on, on both those things. And, and I'm looking forward to, I know we've got a great team in place. Um, so I, I think we can get there. Julie Dunn, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you on the program. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Up next, a new digital strategy at USAID. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how the agency's using technology to build allies and build the American economy. You're watching ABC7. The United States Agency for International Development now has its very first digital strategy. The plan outlines the agency's goals for incorporating technology into its humanitarian assistance, and it relies heavily on partnerships with the private sector. Bonnie Glick is Deputy Administrator of USAID. Bonnie, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. This it couldn't be more timely in the way that you phrase it in this strategy. Couldn't be more timely. It says it's more important than ever for USAID to help communities be resilient in the face of threats like this global pandemic. Why is the timing so important in your view for this? Francis, I think the fact that you and I are having a conversation over video rather than me being in your studio 
shows you exactly why digital is so critically important at this time. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we're all restructuring the way we deliver work, the way we deliver services, and at USAID, how we deliver assistance around the world. There, the COVID-19 reality demonstrates to all of us why it is so important that USAID have digital technology as a centerpiece of the way that we deliver foreign assistance around the world. You boil this down, Bonnie, to two core objectives. How'd you boil it down to two when there potentially are so many different ways that you could have approached this? So that's a very good question. And the easiest way to describe it, Francis, is our determination that uh, USAID should incorporate the concept of digital by default into all of our planning. That everything that we do going forward has to have a digital technology component to it. And that's so important because it also demonstrates our commitment to digital technology as a development priority for the US, of course, but also for countries around the world, developing countries which in the corporate world are referred to as emerging markets. These are important allies, they're important trading partners, and having USAID and the whole of US government recognize the importance of countries around the world whose economies are smaller, but eventually will grow, these are important, strong, potential trading partners for the United States as well. So having digital by default and digital as a development imperative are the keys to why we've undertaken this digital strategy at USAID. I want to talk through each of these objectives and think about what they look like to you and your team at USAID when they're mature, when they're uh, on the way to fulfillment. The first is improving measurable development and humanitarian assistance outcomes through the responsible use of digital technology in USAID's programming. What does that look like in, in a mature, at a mature level, Bonnie? So one of the key components, of course, is ensuring that around the world, countries and their citizens have access to digital literacy tools. So improving the level of inclusiveness of digital technology is critical for our overall programming. We want to make sure that citizens in countries in emerging markets around the world understand the value of digital technology. Again, because we're operating in this COVID environment, one of the things that we're seeing very strongly is the new way of educating people. So just as we're seeing students in the United States take their classes online, we're seeing the priority around the world to educate children through online streaming classes, MOOCs, things like that, that are so important now for the delivery of knowledge and the delivery of education. 
But we also understand, of course, that there are vulnerabilities that are built into that. And we're taking a very strong and deliberate look at cybersecurity around the world and the protection of privacy and data in all of the infrastructures that we're using for the delivery of services through digital technology. So it's a combination of both the inclusiveness as well as that very strong awareness that uh, people can be made vulnerable through the use of digital technology. And we want to do everything in our power to work with governments to ensure that their infrastructures are secure as well. Uh, apologies, Bonnie, the time flies the way that it does during conversations like this. We have a little bit more than a minute left in the second uh, objective is strengthening the openness, inclusiveness, and security of country-level digital ecosystems. And I note inclusion is a word that's used dozens of times throughout the strategy. Why is the emphasis on that so important? The emphasis on inclusion is so important for two reasons, and I'll get through them quickly. The first is that we know that a society will not advance along its journey to self-reliance without its citizens being connected to the cyber world, to the digital world. The other component, of course, is the cybersecurity of it, and it goes a long way to determining how important digital technology is, 5G technology is, for development, uh, the development environment. There's a lot here, and I would love to cover it more, and I look forward to having you come back and talk about it. Bonnie Glick of USAID, thanks very much. Thanks, Francis. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you can get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GovMatters to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.